0: All right. Hey, morning, everybody. How are we doing? You doing okay? Good. Uh, my name is Jim, if I haven't met you before. Uh, today is officially the wear your new clothes to church day, uh, Christmas. So Mo and I uh, apparently coordinated our champion sweatshirts. And my uh, family told me that I could not pull off these shoes uh, when I put them on my Christmas list. And I um, obviously, I can. So... <laughs> Or I'm trying. <laughs> hey, we're glad you're here. And I know there's probably a bunch of you guys that are new. Uh, maybe you came on Christmas Eve. Welcome back. I love that you came back. I hope hope you love being here. I hope you get to know some people. Um, we'd love to have this be your church home, uh, that you find family here. That, that would be, uh, uh, that's the best. So that's what we hope for. Um, I want to... I want to just have a little fun before we start, because i just been noticing everybody's making predictions about everything. You know, first of all, there's this big debate. Is this actually the beginning of the decade, uh, or is it the last year in the decade? It seems to me like every year is the beginning of a new decade, so let's just get through that, right? It could, it could be the 2015. This is the beginning of another 10 years. So, uh, so I don't, I'm not commenting on that, but I am interested in all these predictions. That are out there. And I want to give you, I want to start today by giving you some predictions about some people you know, some Ascent people. Just curious, what are what are the people you know at Ascent gonna be doing 10 years from now? I had no idea we'd be doing this uh, back in 2010. I never would have thought that we'd have moved here and helped start a church. And so what's gonna happen over these next 10 years? So I, I decided to look at some of our folks with that. I decided that we're gonna do our own ascent predictions, and you can hold me to these, okay? Here's our ascent predictions for 2030, and I wanna start with Maurice. Everybody loves Maurice, Maurice this, Maurice that, everybody, Maurice's great, blah, blah, blah. What's Maurice gonna do? In 2030, what's Maurice gonna be doing? That dude's capable of a lot, I decided. You know what I, I figured out? Maurice is gonna run for president. In 2028, <laughs> Maurice's gonna run. <clears throat> I think he's gonna win. I think he's gonna win in 2028. Maurice's gonna run, he's gonna win. He's going to lose, though, the fight with his wife, Aisha, about how many kids they're going to have. I think he's going to have six kids, man. So he'd be in the White House with six kids. Some of you guys think, uh, oh, well, is he saying that Aisha is chasing all these six kids around the White House? You know, what's Aisha going to be doing while Maurice is, you know, President Cox and all that? Aisha, no, nah, she's not chasing the kids. Actually, she is going to star and win a Golden Globe in a... Disney Plus Star Wars TV show. She's going to be like this new cool kind of Jedi thing that she's going to do. And they're going to need somebody to watch their kids. And that's where my prediction for our next person comes in. That's, I think, what Chris Lagadros is going to be doing. Um, I think they're going to hire him. He's going to come to the White House. He's going to watch those six kids running around. I think that's a great role for him in 2030. what about Becky, right? Becky's up here. She's singing. There's a picture of her on Christmas Eve. Some of you guys know this. Love. Man, you come to Christmas Eve, you could care less about me and Bill. Get rid of those guys, right? All we care about are... Becky singing in the trikes. Those are the two things you care about with a scent. So Becky singing at Christmas Eve. Here's my prediction. We're going to tee her up and make her sing O Holy Night every Christmas Eve for the next like four straight years. Some of you love that so much you're going to be like, we're starting our own church. We're splintering off. We're going to buy the Cinnabar, and we're going to start our own church over there. And every week, Becky's going to sing Oh Holy Night. Okay, that, that's what you're going to do, I guarantee. And then what about Bill, my co-pastor Bill? This is a picture of him on Christmas Eve doing his thing. Before you go to the next slide, um, I want you to tell you something about Bill. I want to tell you um, why I don't like him. Um, Bill drives me nuts, you guys. He is one of those guys that just doesn't age. Have you noticed? Like. It's just, it's so. The rest of us are getting wrinkled and growing hair in places and not other places, and he just keeps staying young, little baby face, Bill. Driving crazy, this guy. Until you realize he's a vampire. Okay, the dude's a vampire. This is why we never serve garlic at at, at our after church lunch. Some of you have figured that out. You've put two and two together over time. The dude's a vampire. I think this is the decade it finally catches up with them. This is Bill preaching in 2030 right here. Yeah, stick it, Bill. Yeah, how do you like that? And he's going to start a support group, and they're going to start every meeting saying, bald is sexy. It really is. Bald is sexy. It really is. (sighs) Ah, <sighs> that felt so good to get off my shoulders. <laughs> now, some of you guys are wondering, well, what about you, Jim? What are you going to be doing? Uh, There's the only two things you need to know. I'm going to join Becky's church, and I'm going to join Bill's support group. Okay, not all. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. Uh, so here's the question for you, though. This is a little more serious. Uh, what's our church going to look like in 2030? What's, what's a scent look like? 10 years from now, 10 years from this moment, what's going on with us? You know, I, I think about it, and I think, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have plans to go anywhere. building that plans to go anywhere. Are we going to be the ones still leading this? If not, who is? What, what is? what will this church community, you, us right here in this room, what will we decide we're going to be in the next 10 years? Who are we going to be? How are we going to develop and what's going to be said about us? What's this next decade have in store for Ascent? But not only Ascent, what does this next decade have in store for the church? And I mean that like capital C, the church more broadly. What's going to happen to the church in the U.S.? Guys, I, I've read a super interesting article here over the last couple of weeks, and essentially it was reflecting on the last decade, and the article got my attention because it was titled, The Death, uh, the Decade Christianity Died, or something like that, in the U.S. And it kind of went through this argument saying that, the author was saying, I, he thinks that this will be the decade that we look back on, uh, this last decade, and say, this is why people are no longer Christians, because of what happened in the 2000 teens or whatever we call it. And he had a lot of interesting arguments and he, one of the statistics that he rolled out that I was like, whoa. He looked at 2007 and he contrasted it with 2019 and in that 12 year period, over 12 years, 12% less of Americans in those 12 years now say that they're Christians. I kind of expected 12% less to say they go to church That wouldn't surprise me at all. But to read that 12% of Americans would say they're not Christian anymore. Wow. 1% a year. What's going to happen in the next decade? Are we going to keep having 1%? Millions of people every year saying, I definitely do not call myself Christian anymore. I want to tell you guys about a conversation I had that dealt with actually all the themes of the article. It was kind of fascinating. It was actually during the Christmas shop. So while all that's going on and it's so great, I ended up having a conversation with a guy who was sitting next to me. I didn't know him. He's an extrovert, so he started talking to me, and we got going. And at the very beginning of the conversation, he slipped in this line. He said, yeah, you know, I'm not a Christian anymore, but blah, blah, blah. It just kind of kept going. And so a minute or two passed and I said to him, um, hey, I hope this isn't too personal for me to ask, so forgive me, but uh, you said you're not a Christian anymore. And I just, I'm so curious why. What, what did something happen or did somebody do something? And he ended up telling me the story and we talked for probably a good hour. And, and essentially the two things that I, I think most significantly that he said was number one, he said, I grew up in a church, it was a different state really well-known church. I grew up in a church where all we talked about and all I heard as a kid growing up is what we're against. Well, we're against this. Well, we're not not this. We're that. That's bad. Don't do this. Don't do that. All I heard was how don't drink. Don't smoke. Don't have sex. Don't, 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 don't. And he's like, I eventually got to a place where when I went out of the norm of what was being expected, I felt so much shame that eventually I just couldn't hang anymore. And he said, and then the second thing, and this is, yeah, this is something we need to talk about. He said, the second thing is, he said, well, and now that the church has tied itself to one of the two political parties in the U.S., and I'm not that party, I can't ever go back. I don't ever want to be associated with that. And we talked and we talked. Guys, we're going to go there in this next series. We're going to talk about things that I think need to be talked about. The 1% a year thing ought to be a wake-up call for the church, for us. What's our role? How can we help people see Jesus in this area. What are we called to? You know, we're we're doing the series, 2020, Finding God in a Blurry World. Quick survey. Anybody in here think that 2020 is going to be less blurry than 2019? I don't see a single hand. Yeah, we're not talking about how we can make the world less blurry, because it's going to get more blurry. What we want to talk about is how do we find God? How do we see Jesus? How do we actually, hopefully... Help other people humbly find Jesus. These next few weeks, we're going to talk about how do people perceive the church? What do they see? When they hear that word even, what do they think? We're going to talk about how race and racism is affecting all this. We're going to talk about God and politics. We have to. We've got to talk about what's the relationship there and what should it be and what shouldn't it be. These questions, I think, are so key to how that percent of Americans that keeps stepping away from their faith perceives the church and perceives God. We've got to talk about this stuff. I hope you'll be here with us these next few weeks as we dive in. Um, what I, I want to do, though, is I want to start today by looking at <clears throat> a passage that I think helps look at the life of Jesus and say... This is who maybe we ought to think about being, and this is who we shouldn't be. And, and it's, it's right there in this short little passage, and it's Jesus at his normal brilliance. And, and for us, we have this conviction that, that Jesus was God on Earth, and so there's no better way to understand what God's heartbeat is is than to look at the life of Jesus and to see what He's doing and see what he's saying and see what He's thinking. And how he treats people. if you want to know what God's heartbeat is, look at this guy, because it's right there, plain for us to see. And so uh, it's in Mark chapter two, where I want to pick up with a story of, of what he's up to. and I, I love this. Look at Mark chapter two, and we're going to look at verses 13 through 17. It says this: it says, "Jesus went out to the lake shore again, and he taught the crowds that were coming to him. People are always just flocking to hear him talk. See what, what is he saying? And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Okay, this guy Levi is a tax collector, and apparently they had booths that they would sit at, okay? I, I want to I have you imagine for a second how people would have felt about this guy sitting at his tax collector's booth, Levi. Just picture for a second a neighbor of yours, okay? Okay. Get in your mind a neighbor that you kind of know, but not really. Maybe you say hi to him or her when you go to the mailbox. Uh, You think you know their name. You're pretty sure you don't know the wife's name. You know, like it's one of those neighbors. Uh, And so you've got this neighbor, but somehow your neighbor figures out how to siphon off 10% of your annual income every year. How to take 10 percent of your money every year and it goes into his pocket and he's doing this and he's figured as his word he's figured out a way to do it that's legal he's, he's got this full support of the government and in fact if you go against him he's gonna, he can just he'll call the police in he's figured out a way to take 10 percent of your income every year and you think it is the most unethical, immoral just you're furious. You hate this guy. That's Levi. Levi has traded out. He's a Jew who's decided he's going to work with the Roman government to collect taxes from his fellow people. And in the meantime, he's pocketing 10% of it to himself. And that guy is driving some nice cars. That's that's this guy sitting at the booth. So Jesus sees him, and he walks right up to him, and he says exactly what you and I would say. This is what Jesus says. We all hate you, Jesus said. Get out of here. Straight out of the Jim's multiverse version. My favorite translation. All right. That's not what he said. Here's what Jesus says when he walks up to the guy. Follow me. And be my disciple. Be my follower. Are you kidding me? Everybody hates this guy. Everybody. And Jesus, you're going to walk up to him and you're going to invite him into your little merry band? You know how mad people would have been? And what makes me more mad is what did Levi do? He actually did it. So Levi got up and he followed him. So now Jesus has got this guy that we all hate. It's one of his followers. Well, it keeps going. Look at this in the next passage here. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. Oh, so now he's throwing a party at his house. Whose money is that that he's throwing that big bash at? Yeah, it's my money. Jesus and his followers having dinner with the tax collector who's stolen my money. And so he's doing that with his other text collectors and other disreputable sinners, okay? These are actually some of the people that they hated the most. Uh, Usually that's like a proxy word in the Bible for prostitutes. Jesus is going to a party with some people that the rest of the culture sees as the lowest of the low. And then these are the best parentheses in the Bible right here. In parentheses, there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. Did you love that? And it terrifies me too. Because for some reason, Jesus didn't partake in all this stuff with them, but they loved him. How did he do that? It, It makes me think when I read that would people say this about our church? Would people say that about me? Yeah, he didn't necessarily go along with all the stuff that maybe he shouldn't be doing, but man, he sure loves those people, and they love him. It's amazing. That's what they said about Jesus. How many churches can that be said about? Any? 1% a year, guys. 1% a year. It keeps ticking away. When the church tends to not invite people, outsiders, into their midst. Why? When I, when I was, um, a long time ago, I used to lead a student ministry, uh, middle school kids. We had, like, all kinds of kids coming all the time. Uh, Wednesday nights, super fun, big group, crazy, everything you imagine it being, that's what it was. It was crazy. Yeah. And uh, I'll never forget one night I had uh, one of the leaders ran up to me and said, Jim, 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 you got to Come like, oh, okay. So I run up. We run up onto the roof, and sure enough, uh, what was happening on the roof was that we had about five or six boys, uh, seventh graders, who were smoking pot on the roof of the church. Lovely, right? Uh, that was back when pot was illegal too. So, uh, you know, it's a different story. But these kids are up smoking pot on the roof of the church, and I remember kind of thinking, like, isn't this good? These kids are hearing about Jesus. Now, they may not remember much of it, okay? But <laughs> they're here. They're interacting with us. They're, think of all the places they could be. And yet, for some reason, uh, these leaders have won the right in their lives to kind of be heard by them. It was actually not the response I got from the broader kind of church culture, though. The broader church culture was like, get those kids out of here. We can't have them here. They got to go this is not going to work. You got to tighten up. You got to run a faster ship. You got to, and, and, and I get it. I've got kids, you guys. The, 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 idea out of it was we don't want this influence, influence in our kids. And if that happens to our kid, what happens if, you know, there's a million good reasons. There's a million good reasons for Jesus to not be hanging out with the people that he's hanging out with, but he did. And I wonder if the call of the church is not to be fearful and afraid. and uh, Is the call of the church to love? What if someday that was said about our church in the right way? Gosh, you should see the people that those people love and hang out. It's just amazing. Well, there, were, there was opposition in Jesus' day for sure. Look at, look at this next uh, passage here from uh, verse 16. When the teachers of the religious law, it's always the super religious people, you ever notice that? When the teachers of the religious law, who were Pharisees, we'll talk about that, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, they didn't have the guts to talk to Jesus, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Okay. Why is he out there doing that? Now, what, what's these, what are these Pharisees, what's their deal? What are they worried about? Why are they always, Jesus, if you've read any of the Gospels and you've seen this, Jesus is always fighting these guys. It's like the perpetual battle between Jesus and the Pharisees. Pharisees, think of them this way. Pharisees always want to put the rule before the person. And, and, and actually, in some cases, they would argue for good reason. Their view of God was that, like, look, if you step out of line and you go down the wrong road, God will punish you. And not only will God punish you, God's going to punish the rest of us, too. We're all going down with you because of this. That was their view of how God works. And so as they looked at this kind of thing, they said, you know, we got to make rules. We got to make rules on rules. We got to make sure that nobody ever crosses any lines that gets us in trouble with God Because if he do, then we're all going to get punished. So Jesus, who's claiming to be the son of God, hanging out with all these people, that definitely crosses the line. And they hated him. They hated him for the same reason. There's fear. There's concern. And they're missing the heart of God. You know, as you think about the Pharisees and you think about how they view the world, here's, here's how Pharisees, I think, view the world. Let's say God's here. And these little dots are just people. They're, they're people that, you know, some are close to God and some are far from God and some are in between and some, I don't know, you know. Um, and then there's Bill and there's, they're just all over the map, you guys. What the Pharisees decide to do, the Pharisees look at the world through this lens. The Pharisees see their job as we need to figure out What are the things that we are going to make gatekeeping issues? We're going to say, we're going to build a wall around God, and we're going to stand guard. We're these big dots. We're going to stand guard, and we're going to say, you're out, and you're in. And the Pharisees become the ones who try to control all of, like, how people thought, the religious lie, they tried to control grace. try tried to control Jesus' love. So they would look at people and they would say, oh, you know, you're a tax collector? Eee, you're way out. And you can't come near us because you're going to corrupt us. Or they would look at a leper. Eh, that's not going to work for us because you're going to mess up our rituals. Or if something, somebody had something bad happen to them, did you know the way the Pharisees saw the world was, well, it's a crime and punishment world. So if something bad happened to you, you're being punished for something that you did. And we may not know what you did, but the fact that you're being punished tells us you did something, and so you're out. That's how they saw the world. Now, question for you, is Phariseeism dead today? Good Lord, they may be more alive now than ever before. Guys, when I'm sitting out on that couch talking to that guy, he's like, he's looking at the world saying, well, I guess I'm out because I'm a Democrat. I guess I'm out because I'm pro-LGBTQ. I guess I'm out because I haven't lived the kind of life sexually that the church says I ought to. You know what the real terrifying thing is, you guys? I think there's people out here who maybe just have never had an experience with Jesus themselves. In some cases, you know why I don't think they've had an experience with Jesus? It's because they're looking in and they're not seeing him. All they're seeing are fences and they're seeing border guards. And, And so their view of Jesus is blocked. And that's exactly what this guy was saying. It's Christian culture that's pushing him away. Are we up for letting that happen? What's our church going to do with that? I want to show you, uh, I don't know what our church is going to do. I can show you what Jesus did. Look at, look at verse 16 and 17 here. So, so Jesus is naive. <laughs> he hears what people are saying about him. And then here's his response. When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. If you're in here, Jesus is saying, I actually didn't come for you because you think you're all set. You don't think you need me. I'm interested in helping people that need me. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, Notice he didn't say are righteous, who think they are righteous. I've called, uh, but, but those who know, they're sinners. Those who know that every single one of us is an outsider. Every single one of us is in need of such grace and mercy. If you've experienced that, man, how can we not pass that along? If we haven't experienced that, Then we're going to build. We're going to keep out. It's going to be us versus them. I guess that's what's going on in our world right now. And it goes against, I think, what Jesus did. Jesus didn't build fences. How did Jesus see it? Jesus saw himself in the center. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a spicy statement right there. That's how Jesus saw the universe with him in the center of it. Jesus wasn't busy building fences, though. What Jesus was interested in is your direction. He's sitting with Levi saying, Levi, are you going this way or are you going this way? And the fact that I don't put a fence up for you to see first thing sends you this direction. When he lovingly steps in with this woman who they want to kill for adultery... He's interested in her direction. He's interested in your direction. He's interested in every single one of us asking the question, where are you going? This is is Jesus' universe. The the Pharisees see a fenced world. Jesus sees a centered world where he's at the middle. And, And you know, if we've got a flock of sheep, instead of building fences around them, the strategy of Jesus is put a well of water in the middle. They ain't gonna leave that water. Well, neither are people going to leave Jesus once they actually get a taste of who he is. Could we be that church? How? I have been thinking, my just like prayer, my, the only word that I just think of, I think of the next decade and I go, oh, if somebody would say that about us. I just pray that we are known as a church with humility, that we're humble, that we see ourselves in this field, right? And we're not building fences, we're no better than anybody else. God, no. We're sick. Do we recognize the sickness in ourselves? If we haven't experienced grace ourselves, I don't know how in the world we're gonna pass it on to anybody else. And it starts with understanding our humility to God. It's a prerequisite for a relationship with God. I need you. And all of a sudden, when you say I need you, it gets a lot easier to extend grace to other people. And yet, if you're like me, man, that spirit of the Pharisee is tenaciously in my heart. And it just pops itself up, and I'm like, what? I was... Um, I was at uh, Alfalfa's Market in Boulder uh, a few weeks back, and don't worry, I don't shop there, I can't afford it. Okay, so um, we're super card people. Uh, But I'm at Alfalfa's Alfalfa's Market, I'm sitting in the little cafe, and when I walked in there, I noticed the signs up, and the sign said, uh, no talking on your cell phone in here, right, just like lots of places, because it's annoying. And I had been thinking about calling my wife, talking to her about something, but I was like, eh, you know, the rule says no cell phone. I'm not going to talk on the cell phone. So I sit down, I start typing. No kidding, I'm working on this stuff. I, I went there that day and I was working on the stuff that I wanted to talk about. So I'm, I'm writing this all down and I'm, you know, thinking, wow, this is good and oh my gosh, blah, blah, blah. And uh, all of a sudden, this guy starts talking on his cell phone, loud. Hey, he's in the middle of the room, and he's like talking on his phone. And I'm like, finally, I'm like, I can't work. I'm looking around the room. Everybody stopped what they're doing, and they're all staring at this guy. We're all like, really? You know, and I try to work again, and then finally, I can't work. You know what? If he's going to talk that loud, I'm just going to listen in. I'm going to see what this dude's talking about. Yeah, all right. Let's see how much you like this. I'm going to hear what you're saying. Here's what I hear. No kidding. This is what he says. Yes, officer. Yes. Could you, um, no, here's the address, yep. He just texted me five minutes ago and said that he was thinking of killing himself. Yes, could you please send an officer over there right away? Guy was on the phone with the police, talking about a friend or relative, I don't know, somebody of his who was talking about killing himself. I'm sitting there worried that he's breaking the cell phone rule. Guys, this is a classic, classic thing about how people and I would say churches work. Over time, rules eclipse people. Rules become more important than what people need. And 1% a year just keeps saying, yeah, I don't want any of that. What does it mean for us, guys, to be a church that loves the people around us? I'm thinking about that conversation I had out there, and I just can't help but think, he's talking about his upbringing and this big church and another state and blah, 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 and how, you know, it was all about the things they were against, never about the things they were for. And I just think about even the kids in our church. We had them in the room with us here a few minutes ago. What stories are they going to tell? Can you picture them in 2030? What are they going to say? You know how important it is, the church environment that a kid is in? Because it shapes everything that they believe about the church. And often it shapes then who they see here. What are our kids going to say? Guys, I'm praying. I'm praying that our kids... 10 years from now are saying, my church was for our city. My church was for our schools and our teachers. My church, my church was for every kid getting Christmas presents. You know, last year we um, saw a church that we helped plant in Bolivia, take root and start and go. And we found out that a couple hundred kids are actually part of a program there now that is getting them off the streets and the gangs have now moved away because there's no more kids to recruit. the gang, because they're all part of this church that Ascent had a, help, uh, had a hand in helping start. What if we're a church that's for kids like that? We had a group of women last month that did a fair trade market. All these people are coming down and and buying things where we know that the people who made it aren't getting forced to do it in a sweatshop somewhere. I want to be known as the church that's for that. I want to be a church that's known, gosh, these people are for other people. They don't gear up every day and go to fight us versus them. They're for us, they're for the community. Man, most of all, I, I hope we're known we're for Jesus. We're for who he said he was. We're for having a relationship with him because of the cross and the resurrection. I want to be that church. Not against, 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 against. I want to be the church that's for. What if that guy out there had told that story? That's the story we want our kids to tell in 2030. I'll tell you how the conversation ended. It was about an hour. And... um, I said to him, man, I I first just said, you told me a lot, thank you. And I know that probably maybe feels a little weird telling a pastor all this stuff. Maybe there's a trust thing there that you graciously overcame to talk to me. I said, thank you. I said, can I just, can I tell you a couple things that I heard and you can tell me if I heard you right? He said, sure. I said, well, number one, what I heard you say is that Christian culture, it's really harmed you. You've been really hurt by it. Am I right in saying that? He goes, "Oh yeah." He goes to the point where I will never let my kids near a church. Like no chance. Okay. I said, can I tell you one more thing? I said, I want to tell you something I didn't hear. I didn't hear you say you're done with Jesus. He said, "You're right." Guys. How do we help people see Christ? How do we help them have a relationship with Him? Our vision statement, I'm going to show to you real quick. Here's the vision statement of our church. In case, in case you're wondering, is this, my, is this the place for me? Every person would see Jesus clearly and find life in Him. I can promise you this next decade, it won't happen unless there is an overwhelming spirit of humility, an overwhelming spirit of understanding our own sickness and need for God. And the ability to pass that along is a beautiful thing. Guys, God is going to use this church, I think is going to use you in these next 10 years in a way that we go forward and say, God, we need you, we love you, and we're going to love the people around us. We're not going to build fences around God. We're going to be interested in what direction every person, regardless of where they're at, is moving. We're going to be for stuff, not against stuff. I want to take a second and I want to pray. And I I actually want to start this by, I just think it starts real personal, with each one of us saying, where does that Pharisee live in me? And I want us to pray and I want you to just have a moment to say, who who am I judgmental on? Who am I against? And is that the heart of Christ? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the story, the amazing story of your grace and love to these people. It's the same exact love that you extended to me. And I know a lot of us in this room have experienced that grace and love and we're so grateful. And we pray, God, that we would be the kind of people that can't help ourselves, but to extend that to others as well. God, I pray right now, we're just gonna take a second in silence and we're just gonna pray and we pray that you'd hear us, that we'd identify in our own hearts the space where we're so far off from this. At least I am. We're so far off from this and we need you to help shape and grow us into the person you want us to be. So God, speak to us and hear us now. Lord, thank you for, um, you you can hear every one of us at the same time. It's a cool trick you have. I love that. And I pray, God, that, um, that we would remember you this week, that we would extend grace to one person this week that is the hardest for us to do. Would you help us to make that step this week? Would you help us to have the humility that you have? Lord, we love you. We thank you. And we pray now, God, that you hear us as we sing our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen.